So this is what it's like being on the inside. Yeah. It's horrible. It's alright. You're alright. I feel like I can scarcely move. It's alright. Just breathe through it. It gets easier. How long you been doing this? I don't know. A long time. I don't like it. I don't want it. I want my body back. I'm taking it back. This week on the podcast, we discuss Moon Knight. One podcast to rule them all. One podcast to find them. One podcast to bring them all and in the darkness find them. The game is on, Watson. I've got a bad feeling about this. What if I'm not the hero? What if I'm the podcast guy? I'm made of rocks, as you can see, but don't let that intimidate you. You don't need to be afraid, unless you're made of scissors. <laughs> Just a little rock, paper, scissors joke for you. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. I am genre podcast. It's all genre to me. Hello! Hello, welcome back! We're recording Moon Knight! Moon Knight! Episode 3. Alex told me it sounds like I um, say it like Christopher Walken, but Moon Knight? He's like, Moon Knight, Moon Knight! But then I can't really do a good Christopher Walken impression, so I'm always like, it's Moon Knight! Like, it's so forward, but I don't quite get there. I think I think you put the emphasis on the night, and it just kind of... Moon night! <laughs> yeah. We'll see. I'll workshop it. I don't want to... Yeah. Next time, we'll have it bound. Yeah, exactly. Okay, great. So, uh, I don't know. What'd you, what'd you think about this, this third episode? Oh my gosh. Well, I think this is going to be an interesting one to talk about, because I think we had differing opinions. We've mm-hmm. talked a little, and mm-hmm. I think that... Uh, <laughs> I think that I enjoyed it a little bit more than uh, than you might have, but mm. <laughs> I do I do have some critiques. Do I do have a lot to say? Mm-hmm. But before we get into this episode, I did want to make a couple of announcements. The yes. first the first announcement is um, about Rachel. She was selected as an official mentee of the Netflix Foundations program which is a collaboration between Netflix and Illuminative. So she's going to get a mentor from Netflix and do some writing. Very exciting. Big round of applause for Rachel. Get our our clap track on there. Yeah. No, uh, thank you for announcing that for me. I'm very excited about it. Um, I really hope that, uh, you know, I get some great critiques. I get a great writing sample out of this. Um, And if you guys, uh, if anybody out there represents writers and wants to be my agent feel free to call me my uh my dms are open our emails open genre two numerical at <laughs> we'll put all the email genre in the, uh, two episode link me at gmail.com uh but yes thank you i'm very excited about that 
we're yes very excited for Rachel. we are very excited the podcast is very excited, excited. <laughs> we are excited to get our content critiqued yes um announcement number two is show related and it is mm-hmm. probably not worthy of an announcement in and mm-hmm. of itself i think it is mm-hmm. um this is rachel's discovery i'm just speaking for you today thank uh, you rachel's discovery as she was rewatching uh the first two episodes mark specter is wearing his star of david necklace earlier than when he has his shirt off yes you can catch a glimpse of it we have the receipts yes Timestamp. Two minutes, 15 Two seconds. 15, yes, I remember it well. <laughs> yes. And um, you can only see it in the second panel because yeah. I was watching with Paige and I shouted, I was like, it's the Star David, it's the Star David. And she was like, no, because you can see his necklace chain yes. in the main panel of the mirror. And it's like one of those medicine cabinets with the trifold. And so it's the second panel that's at like a 45 degree angle that you can just see the Star of David and not his face. It's yes. amazing. It's amazing. And then I went back and rewatched the first episode to see if you can catch any glimpses. I spent the entire episode just staring at his neck. Uh, mm-hmm. I felt a little bit vampiric, but mm. he, you cannot Tasty. see <laughs> you cannot see the pendant at any point in the first episode, but he is wearing the chain in every single shot. So he is wearing the necklace. We just we just didn't see it until the interesting, end. interesting. Yeah. I'm excited. We'll post the picture on Instagram so that you guys can enjoy this three-paneled medicine cabinet mirror as much <laughs> as we did. It was a great shot. I also we got to hear a little bit about his wedding in this episode, and I just hope we get a flashback. I want to see him smash a glass and get lifted up in a chair. I hope it was a Jewish wedding. I agree, um, Rebecca. I think you mentioned you had some feedback for a little guy named kevin feige i that i do because wait you know what can you actually explain to me and the listeners who is this guy oh my gosh okay kevin our boy kevin he he's the mastermind he is the guy Mm. behind the entire mcu and we love him he has created a piece of media that lives in our hearts and our minds Mm -hmm. rent free and he he actually got his start working on X-Men, which is a little little factoid that I love because I do think of X-Men as kind of the beginning of the modern age of superhero movies. So he's been in it. But um, sometimes his choices are questionable. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually know if he's making this choice. I just kind of assume that he has the ultimate power over everything. Mm-hmm. But I do want to talk about this because while yes, because he functions pretty much as the executive producer of every yeah. single Marvel movie and TV show, of and I believe everything. he now just became the CEO of comics as well. Really interesting. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, yes, and so we have a little something to say to him. Yes, we do because I I did enjoy I enjoyed all the parts of this episode. I loved all the scenes. I loved everything we learned, but. Kevin, my guy, we got to talk about this whole six-episode thing. So here's mm-hmm. here's my letter to Kevin Feige. Mm-hmm. Hey, Kev. Mm. Big fan. Love your work. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're the mastermind behind this whole beautiful cinematic universe. And for that, mm-hmm. we are eternally grateful. No pun Eternals. <laughs> but seriously, man, please stop limiting your TV writers to six episodes. It mm-hmm. is the worst number and here's mm-hmm. why. Mm-hmm. You know, because you're, you're a movie genius, that the time we spend in each act should fall roughly into 25% in Act 1, mm-hmm. 50% in Act 2, 
and mm-hmm. 25% in Act 3. And mm-hmm. you cannot do that math with six episodes. Now, I am not just being pedantic. There's a mm-hmm. lot of us out here feeling like the pacing of these shows is either too fast or too slow or both at the same time. Like this could have been a movie, Falcon and Winter mm-hmm. Soldier, or a much longer show, <coughs> Loki. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly why. If you spend two full episodes in Act 1 establishing our character and our world at a leisurely pace, how on earth do you expect to get to the midpoint by the end of Episode 3? No! You can't shove the entire first half of Act 2 into a single episode. Too much has to happen, and it feels too fast comparatively. Not because there's actually too many scenes in the plot, but just because of the ratios. So either keep Act 2 the length it is and shorten Act 1, which gives you a movie, or just Mm -hmm. give us eight fucking TV episodes. Please. There is no reason to pick six. It is the worst possible choice. Because math. Thank you very much. Sincerely, your fan, Rebecca. Thank you for sharing that, Rebecca. That was was very thought-provoking. I needed to get that off my chest. I did write that at 6 a.m. this morning. That's one of the best times to write. You're fresh. (laughs) You're never going to be more fresh than you are at 6 in the morning. That is when I do most of my writing. I just, I, this, this episode, it really needed to be two episodes, and. It did, and I, I was, I don't want to get into spoiler country just yet, so I'll, I'll say my piece about the problem with the structure of other Marvel TV shows. Mm. Um, And I won't spoil too much about those either, but I think what I'd kind of seen from many of the other shows is that these shows felt like they had been written by feature film writers who are used to the two-hour classic arc. Yep. And when they are then given four and a half to six hours, expand that arc, just sort of zoom out and cut each episodes into those different acts. Mm -hmm. And I think that is how you have to look at this like sort of longer serialized story throughout the episodes. But to me, the function of TV is that every single episode has to be self-contained, self-repelling, and independently entertaining. And I think that Loki had that problem. Mm -hmm. We spend two episodes explaining the TVA and every day and every day and every day, and then you finally run off into and then, and then you're like off to the races on like the final three episodes are just this like amazing act two and three. And Wanda has the same problem where the two everydays were so incredible. And then the act two comes a little late, like it's almost around episode four. And it just, it doesn't work because I also didn't like the choices they made. Falcon and Winter Soldier, I'm not even really sure what they were thinking when they made that show because <laughs> it's all over the road. That but, may have been because they cut a pandemic-related subplot. And I yes, think that that yes. just totally cut up the show. But. Yes, yeah, it didn't It didn't quite feel right. Um, doesn't have a lot of rewatchability for sure. Mm-hmm. And then Hawkeye, which ended up being one of our favorite shows, 
also had this like really horrible pacing issue, which is that like the first two episodes were almost like the doldrums. Like they didn't have a single storyline that was self-contained and yep. entertaining. It, like, was it was the just beginning like, of a movie. Yeah. Yes, it was the first hour of a movie, but I had to wait a week in between each episode to mm-hmm. find out what was going to happen. And it truly almost lost me. Like yeah. if it wasn't for Maya Lopez, Hawkeye, or um, Echo being introduced... I truly think I would have not finished that show. And the ending, they pay off on all these things. But the problem is that you have to start paying off on these things sooner to keep me invested and and to prove that you're going to pay it off. When I watched Hawkeye, because I hesitated to start it because you didn't like the first few episodes. So I didn't start watching it till week three. And I got to watch the entire, the first three episodes in one sitting. And so for me, not having to wait a week, it was like I was watching the beginning of a very long movie. And to me, that worked better. But I guess I don't think I would have felt the same way if I had watched that first 45 minutes and then spent a week waiting around for the second episode for something to happen. Yes, for Jeremy Renner to just be sort of a sad dad in New York (laughs) City and Haley Steinfeld to be like a silly waitress was like, this isn't a show. Don't mm-hmm. don't try to pull one over on me. That's not a show. No. And I think something that we had originally wanted to talk about this week when we were thinking about this podcast was the beginning of Act Two being what's often referred to as the promise of the premise. That like once we've set up our kind of, you know, we have our everyday and then we have our inciting incident and then Mm -hmm. we kind of propel the hero answers the call and we end up in act Mm -hmm. two. We Mm -hmm. have this kind of, this is why we came to the show. This is what we're watching for. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the reasons I felt so, I don't want to say betrayed, but a little betrayed by Loki was that from the trailers, from everything that was set up in act in in the first two episodes, I felt like I was about to get a procedural show where there was a variant of the week, and every single week, Loki and his TVA pal were going to go to a different time period and hunt down, you know, one of his variants. He was going to have to prune them. And then we could have done that for 13 episodes. We could have done that for 20 episodes. I mm-hmm. think what makes good TV is you have a premise that keeps paying off its promise week after week after week. And you can repeat that as many times as you want. And then you start to introduce the kind of sub, you know, plot that's going to crescendo us to the ending. We start yes. to see Sylvie. And then he finally ends up, sorry, spoiler for Loki, in the void facing all of these other Loki variants. But instead of just having 12 Loki variants we've never seen before, these would be the 12 Loki variants. He had just spent 12 yes episodes hunting down himself it would have paid off so much more and i did love the ending of that show because jonathan majors is incredible but they could have done so much more if they had just said this is a procedural show and we are going to deliver on this promise of you know loki in the tva getting to do his thing multiple times before he realizes he's not on the right side yes i i think that is such a great point and i think People have kind of a resentment for like procedurals and sitcoms and genre TV that like falls into its own tropes and timings. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think it's like have some reverence for your own format because yeah. like that is TV and like there has to be some type of like something to bring continuity to your show. And I think if you watched episode one, of Loki and episode six, 
you wouldn't really be able to understand what happened in between. Like, there was nothing intuitive. They didn't set up anything in episode one that paid off in six. It was a little bit of a, like, twist to it. Like, some pulling the rug out from under you. And... Like I said, I didn't necessarily think it's bad, but I completely agree with what you said about Loki. Like, if it had been procedural and it sort of, like, knocks the dominoes down as they set them up, it would have been amazing. And then Loki is trying to do his final procedure to go catch somebody and ends up finding Kang instead. Oh, my God. Or to have Sylvie come in somewhere in the middle of the season and to have her start to mess things up for him. And things don't quite go the way he planned. And then he catches her and talks to her and they have that conversation about how, you know, he's not on the right side. But then she vanishes and then he's just kind of thinking about that for another episode or two. And then she shows up again and, you know, we kind of get this, like, they start to seed her in early, but in a way that lets that momentum build rather than having the twist happen and then escalate in the span of a single episode. Yes. I mean, I think that's exactly what happened with Wanda. And I loved the first three episodes of Wanda so much. And I think that's what makes me so disappointed in it is that like, I love sitcom. I love genre interpreting genre. Like, that is what I have loved about community. I love this sort of meta-ness. I just love like, what if it was cowboys in space? You know what I mean? There's just, there's so much richness there. And I wish that since like, they had brought so much genre and all these things to the first three episodes that for example they had brought them to the final three episodes like what if even when they brought in sword and shield Mm -hmm. we were still seeing it through wanda's lens and we're seeing it as if it's like law and order or csi you know what i mean it's this other procedural and you're like I'm watching another show again. And you're not watching the, like, meta show. You never can escape, because somehow you as the viewer are, like, caught in the throes of Wanda's perspective. Um, Because it seemed like she had so much control over the quote-unquote camera in the first three episodes. Yes. And then, for some reason, Agatha undid the camera thing. You know, it just... I don't know. I wish they had really stuck to the guns of their premise, because I think there would have been so much richness and like you could have just loved that show until the end um and i i don't know if i really want to rewatch it i mean i will for multiverse but yes yeah it i totally lost my interest in it and i i think that part of the issue that we're talking about is that marvel marvel really they didn't invent the superhero genre like there has been a superhero movie that's come out almost every let's say three to five years since 1966 like a live action one. I mean, there, there's mm-hmm. been a mm-hmm. consistent stream of superhero movies. Marvel reinvented the genre. Marvel created mm-hmm. what the modern genre is. And they did that through the medium of film. And I think you're completely right that the writers that they're tapping to write these shows are thinking about feature films. And they're thinking about the Marvel f- structure, the Marvel formula. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're not necessarily fully able to break out of that. And I think that Marvel has to honor its own tropes in that way where, you know, Mm -hmm. we can't just have this TV show that is completely through this lens and is completely severed from, you know, having this like, okay, we have to have a big bad. We have to have this like 
boss battle villain at the end and it's got to be this like external evil person as opposed to just letting the battle be between Wanda and her own grief and I think that would have made it such a better show but they're trapped in a movie genre that they're trying to do in TV but they're trying to utilize TV but they can't break out of the film part and it's just it's it's not quite working they have not hit it out of the park with any of these shows so far. And I think that they really just need to embrace television and TV structure. Yes, yes. And what is also so great about so much other TV and even what is better about the Marvel TV shows that Netflix produced Mm -hmm. is that they were so much more accepting of low stakes. Yes. That, like, what is happening to this character is, like, Daredevil is fighting a random guy in Hell's Kitchen. And like he's mad about it, and he's stewing, and he's having all these best—he's having all these problems with his best friends. But like, that justifies like why we never hear of the other Avengers, like why we get to be so close up because this is such like a minuscule problem. And I think that's what works so well about like other TV shows is that like, you know, there's not that many TV shows that are about like massive global heists or like yeah. huge things. It's like this is about a singular police department in a singular neighborhood and like these are the problems that they have every week and like i think people forget how zoomed in so many like sitcoms are to be like no the office is about literally a bunch of people that go to work nine to five we don't even see them in their personal lives like we see them in these spaces and because we only get 30 minutes we've abbreviated what we think happens in a 40-hour work week yes and they they haven't embraced that. No, and I think that Hawkeye came the closest to really setting a low stakes um, conflict. And I think that yes. for that reason, it, it was probably the most entertaining to me because it did feel like this deserved to be a TV show. It wasn't like this deserves to be its own movie. But I agree. I think that we should get into talking about this episode yes, because there was, yes, I was so say, much I have happened. something to say. Yes. All right. Okay, excellent. Um, okay. Now boarding to spoiler country. Hello, everyone. This is your captain speaking. We will be beginning our descent into spoiler country. The local time is spoiler o'clock. Please use caution as you listen on because, as I said, it's all spoilers from here. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here we are in spoiler country. Spoiler country. Are you ready Let's get into for it. this episode recap? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Because there's a lot that happened. Um, yeah, we tried it's to give... a confusing one. Yeah, we tried to give Layla a backstory. Um, we introduced a third personality to Mark and Steven and uh, moved forward the plot with the villain, Arthur Harrow, um, mm-hmm. by several... I don't know what the unit to use here is. Miles. I was going to say leaps mm-hmm. and bounds. And I was like, that's such a cliche. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's a fake laugh, I guess. Uh, let's see. Okay, so we've got Layla heading to Egypt. Mark is trying to figure out where Amit's tomb is because Harrow has the compass. Mm-hmm. He starts blacking out. Steven is taking control because he wants Mark to be less violent. Someone Mm -hmm. else takes control because he wants Mark to be more violent. This Mm -hmm. is an interesting twist. Eventually, Khonshu comes up with the idea that they're going to gather the Ennead, which is the other gods, um, by Mm -hmm. causing an eclipse. 
There, they try to accuse Harrow of trying to resurrect Amit. Mm -hmm. Somehow, Harrow convinces the gods that actually Khonshu is the one trying to do this, which Uh didn't quite make sense to me. But one of the avatars uh, tells Mark to find Senfu's tomb, which has a map, very conveniently, to the location of Amit's tomb. So Mm -hmm. they go on a nice little fetch quest to meet a friend of Layla's, because she has shown up at this point. Um, who has this tomb, but of course Arthur Harrow shows up and destroys it, leaving mm-hmm. them with only the scraps of the map. And Mark apparently does not actually know shit about Egypt, and Stephen has to take over the body um, to put it all together, and they realize that it's a star chart. But, and all of these flips between this happens, but this happens, this happens, but this happens. I'm like, this is so much plot for one episode. Anyway. Yes. But the stars have shifted over the last two millennia, so... In order to read it, Kanshu has to turn back the night sky to the night that the map was written. But in doing so, he... Well, okay, I needed to rewatch the end of this episode. Because at first, I thought that Harrow's people were using this reversed sky in order to free Amit. And then I realized, oh no, what they're doing is they're trapping Kanshu in stone... And they have basically used this as an excuse to imprison him in stone the way that he was kind of afraid was going to happen this, this mm-hmm. whole time. Mm-hmm. So um, it turns out that Harrow is somehow in good with the other gods. And we end with Harrow addressing Conchu's statue, telling him that this is all his fault and giving off major uh, bad ex-boyfriend vibes. Big bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. Dump him. They, they have some salt in that relationship. I have so many things to say. I just, I loved the cold open. I loved stepping into Layla with the fake passports with that person who she's related to or is. Is that her mother? I know. Or like her friend. She did say, call her like lovey and give her a kiss on the cheek. Yeah. Um, So one, I'm sad that, I'm sad when this show brings things up that they're not willing to pay off because this to me is the classic pacing problem which is that like little dominoes we need to see a little fall yeah and if you introduce something and you don't pay it off you better have like a damn good reason and they introduced so many things and didn't pay off almost a single one of them um and to me this is the classic 50 percent section that's been broken into two because i was like what was even the plot of yeah. this episode like what was even the point and i think i narrowed it down to like the search for the tomb mm-hmm. and so now they have found it you know it starts with their looking and then it ends with they found it but i'm like who who is our main character here because i so much thought this cold open meant it was going to be layla yes. and that in act two layla was going to get this like great big you know moment of like and every day layla is you know, in the passport, going back to her old life, you know, sort of doing this great setup. Until when? Until when what? Nothing happened to her. Exactly. She found Mark like normal. She got to the tomb just like how she wanted. She she turned back the night sky. What happened to her in this episode? And I don't, this is, this is where to me was the biggest problem with the choice to make this only six episodes that we could have had an entire episode just about Layla. And yes. I wanted that because yes. we set up so much. We learned that she's basically Robin Hood. Like she steals stolen artifacts. Mm-hmm. So cool. 
Her dad mm-hmm. was an archaeologist, so mm-hmm. presumably she like went on digs with him when she was a kid. She mm-hmm. he was murdered. She has this like older mother figure mentor who mm-hmm. is like has this whole setup for making passports that I'm like, okay, is Layla an agent of some kind? <laughs> yeah, like, yes, yes. There was so much that was suggested in that. And the the line about like just avoid your old haunts, I'm like, I had a thought in that moment of oh my god, I hope this pays off and I hope we get to see Layla going to one of her old haunts and then shit hits the fan. Yes. But then I had the same thought a second later of they're not going to have time for that. They're not going to do that. I know, and, and I really thought when we were going to go to um, that guy's house, I thought I wrote it down and I really can't remember his Mogart. name. Mogart. Um, yes, what's his first name? Do you have Anton. Thank you. I did have the subtitles on, so it did help with the names. That I really thought that the, that was going to be like an allegory for her old haunts, and it was going to be like, oh, we're like going in there and we're stealing a bunch of stuff, or like we just got the gang back together and we're back to the procedural. Like as soon as she and Mark start holding hands, I'm like, we're going to pay it off. We're going to pay it off. And instead, we spend so much time watching jousting, meeting the other security guard like, talking about how we're going to solve this problem but not actually doing it. Let's freaking see it, and let's get to it, and let's find out what the hell Layla used to do by having her do it right now, and instead of paying off even how she even knows Anton, because I was like, whoa, I bet she knows him from this weird, crazy way. Let me find out. He's killed. We never find out, and now he's dead. And whatever. Maybe he'll get revived by a god, or freaking Ahmet's going to bring him back, and we're going to find out in episode six. I don't care. I've lost episode, but I've lost interest by episode six. I think that... So I have a lot that I want to say about that scene when we get to it, because I think that that should have been... Like, there should have been... That should have been the dividing point, I think, between episodes, that we could have had an episode that was Layla-focused, Layla-led. She takes... Mark to this place and this is all about her old life coming back and there's a line in there that I was like freaked out about where the security guard says to her like you know since Madripoor like you guys will have a lot to talk about and I'm like Madripoor Mm -hmm. that place that we've heard about in one other show which was Falcon and the Winter Soldier that's where they go to find the power broker and the super soldier serum and Sharon Carter is there And I was like, oh my god, this is our one point of contact with the rest of the MCU, and it's Layla. Mm -hmm. Layla is that point of contact. And Mm -hmm. we we don't find out. And then Arthur Harrow shows up in that scene for no apparent reason, and he's just trying to sow some discord. And the way that he's able to do that is that Layla says to Anton, trust me, and he says, I have no reason to trust you. And it's like, well, we don't know that. Show us why. Show us why he has no reason to trust her before yes. you make that this pivotal plot point. Yes. We'll get to it. Yes. I think the reason I'm getting to these things early is mm-hmm. because the and everyday things are so uninteresting to me. Because, like I said, they don't pay him off. So most of my notes are like the whole cold open, you know, I miss him to avoid your old haunts, you know. And then going over, they do explain that um, Mark has healing armor. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe at one point, Kanshu says, I gave you the healing armor or something. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they do pay that off a little where when he gets stabbed by a jousting stick, like through the chest, yeah, he's fine. That was very cool. A great way to display um, some of his powers. Um, oh, something else 
I think I really, the more I talk about it, the more disdain I have for this episode. So then the cold open we get for Mark is that fight, which was cool, I guess, with him and the Egyptians and the knives. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking, why are we fighting these guys? Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, we're like looking for Ahmed, but like, why are we fighting these guys? The only justification we get is he says, um, hey, you killed that guy I was about to talk to. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, who are you going to talk to and why? That is the more interesting part. Now you're fighting these randos, and then we revisit the randos. Yeah. And then it seems like the only reason we revisit them is because one of them was a kid, and so that when he dies, we find out Mark has, like, a moral code. But to me, it's the classic, like, this happened as a vehicle for the main characters something, and it didn't really have its own justification because there are way more important followers of Amit. And these were just some random Egyptian guys who do knife tricks? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Well, okay, before we got that scene, we did get a quick shot of Arthur Harrow in the desert with his caravan Mm. finding the location of the tomb. Yes. Very much 2000's The Mummy with Brendan Fraser. That was straight out of the movie. Um, But, yeah, the scene with Mark running... Across the roofs. I I thought that was interesting for a couple reasons. One was, A, he doesn't need his suit to fight well. That was interesting to see. Um, Two, he slaps rather than punches the kid. So I'm like, is this Mark's moral code or is Steven already having an influence on him? Uh Um, Because there was a great line in episode two that I caught when I was rewatching about Steven saying, like, I'm never giving you control again. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we do see that pay off in this scene where Steven shows up in the reflection of the knife and then again in a mirror yep. and he keeps telling Mark, like, stop it. Like, he, Steven is doing whatever he can. And the coolest part of this scene to me was we got to see Mark go back into the eyes rolled back dimension and yes. Steven took control of the body and then Mark flashes and wakes up and he doesn't know where he is. And I'm like, this is mm-hmm. so cool. I wanted to see this from what this looked like from Mark's perspective. Yes. I also thought it was really impressive how when Steven was like, give me back the body, don't hit these guys. I was not sympathizing with Steven. Like I thought my undying association would be with Steven. And I'm like, Steven, you don't get it. You're in the fucking way. And I'm like, okay, that means that in the one last episode, like the few minutes we've spent with Mark, Mark has conveyed that he is also good. He does have a moral code. He is worth getting to do. He is worth the body to make the right choices. And that Steven is somehow making the wrong choices. Yes. We see that a couple times in in this episode, I think. We also see it in the um the fighting at the collector mogart's place where Mm -hmm. um steven takes over the body and he's like you know oh come on guys like let's all just you know stop fighting and then he gets stabbed twice and then he says to mark take the body take the body i (laughs) love that one so good i want to talk about that more as well because i think that they they do i think settle into a really nice rhythm in this episode of like yeah steven is the brains mark is the brawn but we also have a third personality. And I, this is why I loved this opening scene was because Mark flashes back into the eyes rolled back dimension a second time and then wakes up, or it's the second or the third time, wakes up not, you know, in a taxi or like doing something that Stephen would be doing, but with his knife literally in another man's throat. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Stephen, what did you do? And Stephen's like, it wasn't me. 
And so we're like, oh my God, if it wasn't Mark and it wasn't Steven, yes. was it Jake? Yes. And Jake's asking people out on dates. Yes. That's the thing too. It's like, okay, we were, we were asking like, well, wait a second. It can't have been Mark asking this girl out on a date because he's married. Yeah. He wouldn't be trying to set up Steven with another girl. Yeah. It's gotta be Jake. So then we get to see what an asshole Conchu is. And he, he really solidifies himself into very much a jackass in this episode. Yeah, a um, bit of a bitch boy. He is. And he basically Ancient tells... bitch boy. <laughs> that's a he, shirt. That's... I think we should make some merch. Ancient bitch boy. <laughs> Comment if you want that shirt. Um, he tells Mark to hang this kid over a ledge. And then the yeah. kid sacrifices himself and Conchie's like, hmm, I thought he'd talk. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. This part was so boring to me. I don't even really have any notes from after that. So the next note I have is, um, okay, can't Conchu can't do most physical stuff, but he can do moon stuff? Yeah. I mean, he is the moon god. I guess. He is the moon god, but I, I was surprised because then... Do you have anything else before he does the, the sky thing? Other than the exchange between... Um... Mark and Stephen again, where Stephen, Mark says, Stephen, what's wrong with you? And Stephen says, it wasn't me. You're the one on a killing spree, which Mm -hmm. I thought, again, was just, I I really want to see this third personality. And I do love that they're teasing it so much before they give it to us. Yes. Um, I did not understand what happened right before this eclipse. Mark suggests that they go to the other gods. And Kanchu says, no, we can't go to the other gods because they might imprison me in stone. And he says, basically, don't do it, because if they imprison me in stone, you'll lose my healing armor, and you don't want that, do you? Mm -hmm. But then, immediately, Mark's like, okay, do you have a plan? He's like, a bad one. And then he causes an eclipse, which causes the other gods to call a council, which causes them to threaten putting Khonshu in stone. And I'm like, so wasn't that exactly what you just said you didn't want to do? On multiple levels. Yeah. You didn't want to call yeah. a council because you didn't want to talk to the other gods, but now you're doing the one thing that will get the gods together, but instead of just calling them, you've done something flashy and annoying that's going to piss them off because they hate how ostentatious you are. Ooh, good word. Thank you. I think the <laughs> word that they used was garish, which is also a good word, but... I actually don't think it fits as well as ostentatious. To me, garish is, like, more about a jacket. I agree. Maybe they don't I'm gonna like look the up suit. The word. That's kind of what I thought was like, they think this mummy suit is like a little over the top. Because <laughs> do the funny. other avatars have fancy suits? Maybe not. I, assu- I assume they have a fancy suit to do something. But I was wondering if like the other people like have a fancy flute to do music or something. <laughs> interesting. That's an interesting thought. What did you think of this Council of the Gods? Uh, okay, so, um, my one note here is, um, not an Irish avatar. <laughs> when he's talking and he's like, oh, you, Conchu, you can't be doing that. You're like, oh my gosh, why? That just, it just seemed a classic, like, diversity, like, look, there's one of everybody. There was um, one of everybody, yes. And the one thing that was kind of interesting to me is that the woman who had been um, the most nice to Mark, mm-hmm. um, she was dark and had like sort of a squash blossom necklace on. And so I was like, she's indigenous, right? But she had this like kind of funny accent. And so I was like, 
I mean, indigenous people look really similar all over the world. So I was like, I don't know what her deal is. Um, but I looked her up and she is North and South American indigenous, um, identifies as Colombian, but moved to England when she was like in her teens. And so she's absorbed this English accent, which is why I was like, because indigenous people don't really sound like that. Um, but obviously they can. Um, but it was just very funny, um, and I liked that they dressed her in a squash blossom necklace, because I was like, oh, there's like sort of this virtue signaling. But yeah, I don't know. I thought the council was fine. I thought it was overly, I don't know, expositional. I wasn't really that interested in the things they had to say. I wish it wasn't such a formal thing. I wish mm-hmm. they had sort of just been like, Mark, what do you have to say for yourself? You know, get right to it. You don't yeah. need to introduce yourself. You got, presumably all know each other. I, I thought the things that stood out to me in the scene were, one, that Kanchu specifically calls it a meeting of the Ennead, um, yep. and which brought me back to, and he also right after that says, the last time I was here, they banished me. And I was like, mm-hmm. that first episode, we have Mark talking, or Stephen talking about the poster of the Ennead, yep. and he's like, there's only yep. seven gods. And my theory was that this was because Amit and Kanchu were not on it, and I think that yep. is pretty much confirmed at this point. Um, yep. Steven is nerding out about being in the Great Pyramid in the reflection. Oh as my Mark gosh, is in. that was the best part. I agree. That was I wrote that down too. So cute. I really loved that. Um, I'm very curious about, yeah, that woman, I think her name was Yatsu, and mm-hmm. she was an avatar of Hathor. And she was like, oh, you know, aren't we old friends? Which kind of made me wonder... How old are these avatars? Do they have... Is this like Avatar The Last Airbender? <laughs> where they have the memories of the past avatars, but for some reason Mark doesn't. And Arthur Harrow does call him mm. a makeshift avatar, which makes me think mm. that because Kanchu has been banished, his avatar has either fewer privileges or fewer abilities or less connection than the other ones do. Um, That's very cool. I didn't notice that. And I did not notice that. Because she also says to you know, Mark, like, hasn't, hasn't Kanchu explained how this works? Like, uh-huh. and he's like, I don't know anything about this. And it mm-hmm. seems like she knows exactly what's going on. So mm-hmm. she either has been around a really long time or remembers how this used to work. Mm-hmm. Um, also enjoyed the like new kind of level of acting that we got to see Oscar Isaac do of like yes having Conchie's voice come through him and he's like does his little like jerking thing and it's it's incredible um but uh Hawthorne's avatar says um you know it's a strange sensation but you'll get used to it and I was again rewatching the first episode and noticed that when Steven can't sleep he's doing some reading he's reading about the Ennead and the subtitle Uh of that chapter is the rift between god and man Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, this is a very interesting, you know, I, I thought that was great foreshadowing from the first episode. Yes, I've watched the first two episodes three times now, <laughs> which is great. Whoever hasn't seen it, I'm like, you want to watch the first first two? Because the yeah, first two are so good. I'll rewatch the third one because I know there is some good information in there. But yeah, it, it was meandering. There, um, it, yeah. And so then the gods say, like, he says... Arthur is going to release Amit, and they're like, that's a heavy accusation. And I'm like, okay, so then look into it. Yes. I had a lot of questions about this. And I I think that part of it, part of my interpretation was, so there's a couple things that, that, so Khonshu accuses the other gods of abandoning humanity. 
mm-hmm. asks them to return from the opulence of the, I wrote overvoid, but I'm not sure if I heard that right. Mm-hmm. And they say they don't want to meddle just to observe. And I was like, two thoughts. One, is this going to be the perpetual answer for the Eternals, for these godlike avatars? Yes. Anyone who has like incredible amounts of power who's been here the whole time and didn't fight Thanos, their excuse yes. is going to be that they don't meddle in the affairs of humanity. But also Arthur Harrow does meddle. Arthur Harrow is going around killing mortals. Yeah. So you can't say that like you're laissez-faire on humanity because right. like you're literally hand-to-hand murdering people. The other thing that they say that kind of got me thinking, like, okay, these other gods just could not give a fuck, is um, when they tell Mark, this is a safe space to tell us if you feel exploited by Khonshu. And I was like, okay, these people are HR. Like, they don't... These people don't actually want to do anything about any problem. And I kind of took that line as, like, you know okay, if Mark is complaining about this real problem that's happening and they don't want to look into it, this is why they don't want to look into it. Like, they don't want to have to do shit. Like, they don't want to have to... They're just... They don't want to get involved. And I think that, to me, once she said that line, I, like, laughed out loud. And I was like, okay, I I get this. I get why they don't... Not looking into it. But at the same time, I was like, doesn't have Mark have better evidence he could present? Like, what about the scarab? (laughs) I... I don't know, and I think this is where my problems with the episode really started to um, sort of snowball, because like you said with the Eternals, we are now in an immensely high-stakes situation. Yes. These are literal gods, Mm -hmm. which in this universe, there's, you know, hundreds of different types of gods, high-stakes situations, Um, but we are not in a feature film. And, like, we are not in, like, the 10th movie of a feature film. Mm -hmm. And so, so many people who get to do their introduction film, the introduction is kept low stakes. This person is a problem because they're your problem, but they're no one else's problem. You know what I mean? And, like, Iron Man is kind of self-important, and so he has kind of, like, a high-stakes problem with, like, nuclear arms. But, like, Black Panther's problem, it is with his cousin and his country. Like... So many people... Spider-Man's problem is with a guy who's going to hijack a plane. If that plane gets hijacked, nothing is going to happen to the universe. Right. And this is, like, almost the stakes. Yes, and prom. Well, and homecoming. Well, yeah, I mean, homecoming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But this is... This is not the Avengers. And, like, they put so much work into bringing the Avengers in and, like, bringing them in one by one and explaining everyone's individual problems and what their capabilities are, and then d- being able to display them in Avengers, Ultron, yes. Infinity War, and Endgame. And so, to me, this, like, literal gods are going to kill half the world is so similar to Thanos, yes. and yet we have not had 12 feature films explaining why this is... Because if this was actually going to happen... I mean, he should be calling the Avengers. Yeah. Whoever is left, like, he should be calling the Eternals. Like, literally anybody you know about, if you're an agent, you should know about superheroes. And the idea that they simply couldn't care. I mean, Egypt and Wakanda are potentially not even that far. Like, there is a Black Panther to come over and help you. I completely agree with that. I think that the stakes got far too high when they introduced the other gods. And... I do think even if Arthur Harrow was just going around killing individuals, yes, that would be high enough stakes 
that we would want to see Mark stop him. Yes. He doesn't need to be trying to resurrect a goddess who... And that's why, you know, I I do think there were a lot of twists in this episode that I didn't foresee, and I am glad. But also, I think when I predicted at the end of last episode that, you know, we were going to get to a point where Arthur Harrow had succeeded with at least the very beginning of resurrecting Amit. And of course, they were going to stop him. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, unless they're planning to introduce Amit to the rest of the MCU in the next film, which I I did realize the last episode of uh, Moon Knight comes out the day before the premiere of Multiverse of Madness. So I am I do have something to say at the end of this episode prediction wise, which is a total screwball theory. But yeah, I think that assuming Amit's not going to be in the multiverse of madness, like we know how this show is going to end. And that is frustrating to me because if it were a low stakes villain, we wouldn't know. Arthur Harrow could escape and not necessarily threaten the rest of the MCU. Yeah. And we could, it just seems to me like it doesn't get higher stakes than all nine Egyptian gods. Yeah. And so how can you ever ramp Moon Knight from here? Like, it kind of seems like you've blown your entire wad on his original IP for maybe no good reason, because I'm like, does this mean he doesn't get a feature film? Like, does this mean he doesn't have, like, an evil tether in the Avengers 2? Like, I don't know. Like, is is he going to be, when he was brought into the universe as no one, is he going to sort of fall away from the universe as no one as well? I really hope not. Like, I hope that they still have more people for him to fight. But it does feel like Amit is kind of his, like, arch nemesis in this sense. I I know. And it's like we, we put so much thought into like tapering spider-man up and being like the sinister six will be movies four and five and six and like all of these other characters get so much thought put into them and i'm like if you're gonna make a really amazing show there's no reason that yeah you can't do something amazing and small scale and then leave some ip for when you want to bring a feature film or when you're like what do we do next I mean, the, the MCU does not always stick to its source material. Like, if Moon Knight is really successful, start making freaking original films. Yeah. Have Moon Knight and Black Panther get their own freaking Falcon and Winter Soldier series of three movies, and people will love it, you yeah. know? They're the next Thor and Loki, and I don't know why they're not capitalizing on this. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and I hope they do. I hope this can be... I hope this is a launch point and they do have somewhere to go from here. But I do feel like, yeah, this this did feel like, wow, this is his whole universe. Um, but I did want to bring it back to this scene because mm-hmm. I was so captivated by Arthur Harrow calling Mark Kanchu's makeshift avatar. Yes. And I think one of the things that we've been wondering this whole time is like, okay, how how did Mark end up in this situation. Uh-huh. And there is a line at the very beginning of episode one where he's in the museum and there's a little girl, she's putting rubbish in the pyramid, and he tells her, like, oh, yeah, you know, they used to take your all your organs out by your nose except for your heart, and that got weighed. And she said, did it suck for you? 
getting rejected from the field of reeds. And he Mm -hmm. said, what? I'm not dead, am I? And Mm -hmm. I mean, clearly Khonshu has said, you were a corpse when I found you. Mm-hmm. But I did look up the field of reeds because this mm-hmm. is an actual part of ancient Egyptian beliefs, which mm-hmm. was that when you died, your heart was weighed. And if it was lighter than a feather, you got to go to the field of reeds. And if it was heavier than a field uh, than a feather, your heart got eaten by Amit. And uh-huh. so I'm like, Mark was rejected from the field of reeds, which means that his heart was too heavy. So it would have been fed to Amit. Could it have been fed to Amit if she's imprisoned in stone? Does she have one of her demon dogs devour hearts? Did Khonshu offer Mark not just a chance to be alive again, but to redeem himself so that the next time he dies, his heart will be light enough to go to the Field of Reeds? I am wondering if this is part of their bargain. I don't know how quickly they're sticking to that source material, but... I really like that, and I think that also plays into my thought, which is that, like... My thing is that I think Mark's motivation is to die. Like, mm-hmm. I think the way he was acting on the boat with Layla. Oh my God, we're not know, even at that part yet. <laughs> I know. I'm like, we should probably start moving because there's so much stupid shit in this. We do. But, but yeah, that like Mark has given up on his life and he was rejected by death. And then you only want what you can't have. And that like... I think he wants to, like, end the life and the body and the relationship with Khonshu yeah. and be able to, like, have all three personalities be peace and quiet. Yeah. And he does, I mean, one of the things that Harrow says to him when he does show up at this collector's house is, like, you don't believe you're, you deserve love. And Mark is kind of like, shut your face. But yeah, I'm like, yeah, I mean, it does seem like he is an inherently, like, self-destructive person and i think his primary goal which he is has stuck to very consistently every time we've seen him is protect layla Mm -hmm. and i think i think he's pretty much given up on himself at this point um i i did think there was also a really interesting moment where uh harrow is trying to kill mark's credibility and he says i have no idea how many personalities he's he must possess as if somehow this means that he's not looking for the tomb of Amit. I don't really understand why that was an argument, but I did love I Mark's response. I think just that he's an unreliable narrator? I guess so. But I did love when they asked Mark, like, are you unwell? And he says, I am. I need help. And I was like, oh, Mark, you can get help. I know. Um, but yeah, that I, I did love everything we learned in that scene, but it was so expositional and much longer yes. than it needed to be. And then we have, well, I mean, it was, it and was to me a little unjustified, like a little unearned. Yeah. Like, I'm like, what if you tried to call the gods and they're so sick of Conchu, they won't even take a meeting. Exactly. Like, what if it's like, they won't take a meeting. And that's why we go to the nuclear option of doing the moon and the night sky and the whole other shit, because you couldn't get a meeting. And then later we see this trial and we start to wonder what's going on with Harrow. But like, I think Harrow could have been in way less. Yeah. And I think that this is why this episode is both too long and too short. It's like, there too much happened for it to be one episode, and yet we needed more to happen to justify the things that did happen. So it needed to be multiple episodes so that we could have the first attempt to contact the gods and they won't listen, and then we do the eclipse. Because if you'd done that in one episode, it would have been even more, but just 
Yes. More yes, because, okay, so just to keep the ball rolling, yes. I'm sitting here, I have all this marked currently as act one, because to me, this is still all exposition. We're getting into every day. There's no inciting event. There's no hero's journey. There's no refusal of the call. And so um, the few notes I do have, one, I believe in they're in Cairo, right? Mm-hmm. Mark walks outside. He is wearing an all blacked out Cubs hat. He's from Chicago. He also sometimes has like a like, a kind of voice and i love that um two mark specter at a windbreaker can end me (laughs) truly oh my god you've never seen a windbreaker look like that holy shit and it was blue it was just a because in the last few episodes he's kind of been wearing button-ups and little jack i just love that costuming is like yeah different setting different outfit he i think Oscar Isaac is the is the thing holding these epi- this episode together. Yes. He is, his acting, we see yes. him transition from Mark to Steven on camera. We get that. He, I know. He does Mark, he does Steven, he does the possessed by Khonshu, and he is so beautiful. Impeccable. Yeah. Okay, do you do you have anything else? Otherwise I'm ready to get to Anton's house. Um Oh yeah. no, the boat. The boat. Oh, yeah. Oh, my only other thing was he goes to a market looking for this map and then Layla shows up out of the blue and we have not seen her since the cold open. And she just walks up to where and I said she is so good at finding him. Yes, that's the that's the convenience, because to me, that would have been a perfect point for it's Layla's hero's journey. She gets in there. She finds Mark. She gets an opportunity to refuse the call. She tries to talk to Mark. Mark is like, I'm doing it this way. I'm mad. You know, I'm asking this guy for the map. And she's like, you know what, Mark? I don't think that's going to work for me. I know how to start Arthur Harrow. I'm off. Yes. All of a sudden, they deviate. She's off. She's going to go talk to her friend Anton. And Mark is stomping around the market wondering how he's going to get there. Or even to put that at the beginning where we have Mark running around chasing after these guys and we don't know. And we also were like, okay, Layla's going to Egypt. Mark's in Egypt. Do they, you know, he has not gone with her. If she had found him at the beginning of that episode and said, we're doing this my way. This is my city. I know my way around. I have contacts. And he says, no, we're doing this my way. And they diverge. Then we get Mark's hero's journey. Yes, we get to... Once again, Mark to refuse the call, which I do think would have been better for continuity, but I really wanted Layla to be the hero, so I'm like... Well, we could have followed them both and had it be, you know, they're both refusing to work together Mm. until they're forced to. And then, because that brings us to this boat, and I wrote, wow, marital problems. I wrote by lighting. Yeah, I did love that. A little pink and blue. Favorite colors. Um... They, yeah, they're talking about, oh, this also reminded me, um, in the credits, one of the shots is a wedding ring that divides into three pieces. And I'm like, I do love that in their little wow credits thing. Because this, this relationship does feel like it is kind of at the core of this episode. And I yeah. really wish we'd gotten to see more of it because they do have great chemistry and they do have this like yeah. amazing tension where I was watching that and I was like, wow, there is so, I was like, okay, I'm going to back away. You guys clearly need some time to work this out. Like, Yes. Yes. No, that's the show. That zoomed in is the show. Yeah. Jousting at a random guy's house is not a show. Mm -mm. That's a setting. Yeah. There was just, there was so much, this was the kind of dialogue that I love where you have two Mm -hmm. characters who are having a conversation. I am a fly on the wall and I'm trying to follow because the way they're talking to one another is not for my benefit. 
they're saying things like, you know, I'm so, he's like, I didn't write down the exact dialogue, but Uh she's like, is this your way of apologizing for leaving so quickly? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, is this your way of apologizing? And he says, I am sorry for, you know, leaving so quickly and coming to Cairo or something. And it's this like, leaving so quickly after what? Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, after Uh your wedding? Like, after... Yes, yes. When you were just in England just now? Like, what is the... But they know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And they are having feelings about it. And Mm -hmm. I I loved that scene. She also says, like, they're holding hands. She says, you could have told me about Stephen. He said, I had Mm -hmm. it under control until very recently, which does make me think that your theory is looking pretty good that, like, Stephen may have been around since Mark's childhood. He went to therapy, got on some drugs, something, and he has had it kind of suppressed. And then suddenly, recently, Stephen has broken free. And mm-hmm. it was he was so suppressed that when Mark and Layla got married, he didn't even feel like he wanted to tell Layla about Stephen yes. being part of his life. Yes. Uh, and then they get off the boat and they stash their bags and suddenly he's, oh, I meant to look up this name. He's Rufino Estrada. Um, <laughs> his alias. And I'm like, please tell me you didn't just make up this name This in This Is Someone from the comics and I meant to look it up and I didn't. Yeah, I wrote, I wish I could remember who said this. Was it the security guard guy? I wrote down, Anton was so ready to make peace with you. Yeah, that was Is the that security you... guard. Okay, great. Um... Yeah, so we end up at this rich guy's house who's just, like, sort of an eclectic collector, and he just has all these Egyptian artifacts. Like, also just weirdly, like, outside in displays. I mean, the set person must have really had fun, but I'm like, what am I looking at? Like, a glass pyramid with a tomb in it? This guy just has it? And I do like that Layla was annoyed with it, that she was like, uh, yeah, you get to keep this stuff, you know, not for you. Not for the masses, just for yourself. And he's like, well, it's preserving history. So this, I just thought about this because I was, when I saw that glass pyramid, I was like, the Louvre? But then my (laughs) other thought that I had just now was, so in the comics, Kang, the Conqueror, has this like realm where he collects artifacts and he has the Sphinx and he has the Pyramids of Giza. And that shot of that little pyramid and the idea of someone like collecting and preserving history does seem to echo Kang's kind of whole thing about wanting to conquer time. And so I don't know if he and Kang are in any way related, but it uh-huh. was an interesting kind of callback, I think, to, yeah. to Kang. Yeah, that's very cool. Especially since that was immediately after we got this callback to Madripoor. And a yep. reference to other parts of the MCU. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have that many notes on this part because it was just exposition. It was just like, here we are, and this is this, and this is this. and Yeah, the parts that really stood out to me here were um, Layla calling on Steven. Uh, mm-hmm. Please let Steven out before you blow this. And it was, again, mm-hmm. like, Mark doesn't can't read Egyptian. He doesn't know. And which explains, again, why Layla yeah. was so surprised that Steven could. Yeah. Um, and, and French. Mark doesn't want Stephen to take the body because, yes, the French. Um, <laughs> Go because French. I think she ex- or Mark expects there to be violence. And yes. he threatens a bloodbath, which is a surefire way to make Stephen shut up and do what he wants. Um, which I wrote, they seem to be settling into a pattern, brains and brawn. Um, and it was mm-hmm. cute how they were working together. And Mark, Stephen was, you know, looking down from the nice reflective ceiling and... 
showing him yeah. how to fold the map. Um, yeah. And then I wrote, wow, Mark takes that gun so fast. <laughs> he really that is. That was cool. He is primed, primed for this. And then Arthur Harris shows up and I did not understand why he was there. No. Nope. He, he offers Anton the scarab, but then doesn't give it to him because he kills him. Or I guess he doesn't kill him. But he doesn't seem to be there for any particular reason other than to demonstrate his power and blow up the tomb, Senfu's tomb, which yes. I was like, why? Because my first thought was, oh, he doesn't want them following him. Okay, that makes sense. But then later we see Khonshu turning back the sky, you know, according to this star chart, which seems to be exactly what Harrow wants slash needs to happen in order to get Khonshu imprisoned in stone. And so I'm like, well, then if you wanted, there was only one thing they could have done with that map, which was turn back the sky in order to use it. So if you wanted that to happen and you wanted Khonshu to use his power in this way that was going to get him taken out of the way so that Mark and Steven don't have powers anymore, why not just let them get the map? Like, what was the point of showing up there? I also... I justified it slightly differently, which mm. was just that, like, he is in, like, a race against time, and so he just wanted to, like, stop them, like, by any means possible, and, like, he had hoped that maybe he could beat them without Khonshu, and so Khonshu mm. doing the sky thing was a nuclear option for them, but not necessary for Harrow, who is about to release Amit, but... I mean, this, my theory about time is, has not been brought forward by the show at all, because no matter how much fucking time I've had to spend with Arthur Harrow, I have no idea what's going on in the tomb or what it looks like. Like, why was it not instant with the scarab? Like, I'm like, you find it and you dig. Like, you have powers, all sorts of people have powers. I, I can't buy into something that I have literally no idea what's happening. Yes. Like, is, is, are you, do you have like a vacuum and it's taking hours to like suck it around? Like, I have have to do 30 hours of that. I had this exact thought and this was, I wrote at a certain point a little bit further into the episode, but I wrote like, why haven't we seen Arthur Harrow find this tomb yet? Like, this seems like he's there. Why is he running around trying to follow Mark and Layla? Like, yes. And so then show him looking for it. Yes. So that you understand why there's a delay because I'm like, okay, we shouldn't even have 30 minutes to go turn back the sky. No, and this, again, needed to be more episodes. Like, I wanted more episodes. I wanted this whole scene. Like, I wanted basically this episode to be Layla and Mark go their separate ways. Mark tries, you know, chasing down people, but then one of them dies and he's just like, oh, shit, you know. And then we see Layla, I don't know, talking to old contacts or something, and we see her get in trouble or something to, like, Mm -hmm. call back to the fact that, like, she has a history here and then you know mark is trying to talk maybe to the gods maybe not but then they have to come back together they're on this boat and then we get more time spent with this collector we get to actually see his history with layla instead of just getting this like little teased bits of you know him saying like i have no reason to trust you or all this stuff like let's see some of that backstory play out. Like, Mm -hmm. let's understand and give us a sense of why when Arthur Harrow shows up, he's able to manipulate them so easily. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. This is where I marked my act two, because Mm -hmm. for me, 
this was one of the first and only refusal of the calls, which is that if we're following Mark's hero's journey, when Arthur Harrow steps into the realm or the area, Kanshu is standing on top of the building. Yes. And he says, Mark, the suit, put on the suit. And Mark doesn't. Yes. And so he's trying to do something, but he hasn't decided yet. And so he's showing that like Kanshu is not controlling him and that like the literal call to action to fight was not propelling him and that he's thinking. And so I was like, okay, Mark is trying to figure out a path with Steven. Like he's trying to figure out what is our nonviolent means out of this? What am I going to do? I loved that. I really loved that moment because it did feel like another moment of Mark really trying to listen to Steven's influence. Um, But to me, that should have been set up better. That, like, I I feel like as an avid TV watcher, I'm, like, so in tune with these, like, really minute moments. But I'm, like, if they had set up all these things better to be, like, what if a previous time Conchu had suggested he put on the suit and then he does it? Or I don't know. Just they they didn't knock down any dominoes they set up for that moment. Right. Yeah. I was going to say that um, Harrow also is kind of getting in their heads and he says that Layla's still hung up on her dad's murder and she blames Mark for not communicating with her. And I was like, I don't really see how those two things are connected, but okay. Uh Uh, Mark doesn't believe he's worthy of love. And this all seems to be just an excuse to buy time so that Harrow can basically say to Anton, like, look at my stick. It glows. Oh, I blew up the tomb. Okay. See ya. Um, Which I was just like, don't did not understand the the purpose of that scene although we then get a pretty cool fight scene and we do get to see mark fighting in his suit and he does this really cool trick with the cape where he catches the bullets and he flings them back and i was like oh i do love this i know and we get to see the capes like ultimate because at one point i think it was the first time in this episode Konchu says like your i gave you the your healing powers Mm -hmm. or something which i hadn't realized that the cape had healing powers because I was like, okay, how is Mark not getting way more fucked up from these fights? Yeah. And it turns out that the suit is, like, literally, he's almost like Wolverine under there. Where yes. he's, like, closing his little holes. Although... And so he gets jousted through. Yes. He gets jousted through. We do see in the very first episode when Steven wakes up for the first time in the Alps or wherever he is, that his jaw is broken. And then yes. he, like, resets it. And it seems to heal, but he's not wearing the suit. So I'm like, maybe the suit I know. gives him the healing powers or Kanchu yes. gives him the healing powers, but he doesn't necessarily have to be wearing the suit in order to use, utilize them. Yes. Um, but yeah, he, Steven wants the body um, and takes it. And Mark goes into the eyes roll back dimension while wearing the suit, which was very cool. Um, Steven gets impaled and then uh, wants to give Mark the body back, which was lovely. Um, Layla's fighting the guy. She throws some broken glass, which was a nice shot. Um, steals the map fragments. And, uh, yeah, then they kind of have this nice little, like, end of their joust where, um, Mark is running towards Anton and Layla's right there in the middle. And Mark just gets there slightly before him. And Mm -hmm. they're, they're fighting over the girl. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then we end up in a car. Oh, first Conchu's on a clock and he goes, tick tock. And I'm like, you asshole. You. What is this? John Wick? He is such a jackass. But yeah, they're, they're in a car. Mark takes his shirt off. We see the necklace again. 
Oh my god. The fact that Layla is not just staring at him. I mean, I know it's her husband, but I'm like, I almost think that was like some of the most interesting like cinematography and directing to be like, the viewer is so just like enraptured by Oscar Isaac and Layla is completely disinterested and you're like oh my god it's so telling of the dynamic that she has such a disdain for him that she won't even like look and yet and yet in this next scene okay so they've they have this nice little exchange in the car where um Layla's kind of spooked and Mark's like don't let him get in your head and she's like I feel like you have endless secrets every time I learn a secret I feel like this has to be the last one and he's uh-huh. she's like it's like I haven't known you at all and he says you haven't and I'm yeah, just like yeah, my heart no, broke yeah. but then oh yeah this is where I wrote why did Harold bother going there why is he still digging who knows I marked my act three here they're in the desert and they're reconstructing the map and Layla mm-hmm. says we need Stephen mm-hmm. and Conchu says, Stephen won't return the body. And then Mark rips the mirror off the car and transitions on camera into Stephen and Uh says, cheers, mate. And then (laughs) he is like all in on the map. And then we see the way that Layla's looking at him. And it's like, she admires him. She likes Stephen. Yes. She likes Stephen. And I love this. I love this love triangle between Mark's two personalities. I completely agree. Yes. I wrote the same thing that this is right about where my act three is because I was like, okay, finally, we've refused a call. We've now accepted a call that like Mark needs the suit. Mark needs Layla. Mark needs Steven. We all are in this together. Yes. It was so nice. And then we even get Conchu doing a little bit of self-sacrifice, which was interesting He's like, I can turn back the sky, but they're going to imprison me. Like, tell Mark to free me when yes. when I get turned to stone. And I kind of, yes. for the first time, felt like a little bit bad for Conchu. And yeah. that was very interesting because he has been such a jerk this whole episode. Um, I was very confused from the rest of the episode, so I'm going to let you talk about it because I don't know what happened. No, my act three only has five bullet points. Um, and yeah, then I do have written... I remember that night. I remember every night, mm-hmm. which I'm like, okay, that's kind of interesting. I guess yeah. it shows that like gods are omniscient and especially about their thing. If he's the moon knight, he right. can't forget the moons or the nights. That's kind of interesting. Um, I also like that because I, I am a little confused still about the eclipse because he was able to do the eclipse himself, right? Mm-hmm. So right, I wrote down earlier... He can't do body stuff. He can do moon stuff. Somehow, even to do this moon stuff, he needed the help of the body. So I'm like, okay, if we're going to make some rules, we better adhere to them. Yeah. And it might have just been that, like, in the suit, he needed the additional power. Right. That, like, this was a more power resourceful move to do. I did kind Um, of assume it took more out of him to turn back the sky 2,000 years than just to kind of move the moon a little. Yes, but but I was like, okay, if we're going to make some rules, this better make sense later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I really, I don't really care about the sky part. Like, I'm like, okay, the tablet has a 3,000 year old uh, picture taking cable. What am I trying to say here? When they do the astrology app, astrology, astronomy app, (laughs) they 
it has the information for 3,000 years ago, or it can read the information from 3,000 years ago, which is not, like, incomprehensible to me, but I'm like, does this, like, iPad app have that capability? Like, I know a scientist can do it, but, like... Right. That I didn't get. It seemed, like, too easy. I almost wish it wasn't an iPad, and I wish Layla was cross-referencing only ancient texts and being like, I know how to read this. I've read this many times. Right, because she can read the funerary texts. We know that. Yeah, and so that to me felt like a little convenient, Um, but I don't know. Then the next thing I have, I don't even remember what else happened with the night sky, um, is that the crunchy shoe payoff was insane. That like Arthur Harrow walks back into the pyramid and there's no score, there's barely any sound effect, and there is only the shoe crunching which you remember so vividly from the first episode that you're like, I know exactly what that is. And this is horrifying. And to me, that was amazing. Like that's the kind of like little tiny bits of payoff that you need to be doing the whole time. And I thought that was amazing. Um, I also wrote, you made me bad. Mm -hmm. And then I put, okay, question mark, question mark, LOL. Because... How and why? I wish any of this had more explanation because I don't understand how Kanchu could have made him bad. Yeah. I don't understand how Amit seems to be this like all around evil god and no one else seems to care. I like, doesn't that Colombian avatar like be like, I think Amit is a little bad, Oscar Isaac. We should be talking about her. So I was very confused because when Arthur Harrow said, you brought this upon yourself, Kanchu. And then we cut to people doing a ritual. And my first thought was, oh, Arthur Harrow wanted this to happen because, and this was my answer for, isn't he done digging, was, oh, because I didn't realize that they were back in the Pyramid of Giza. I was like, oh, this is, this is Amit's tomb. And they are doing mm-hmm. the ritual to resurrect Amit. And in order to do that, they need the night sky for whatever reason to be what mm-hmm. it was 3000 years ago. And so I was like, oh, this makes sense. And there, this is, you know, as we see kind of Kanchu dissipating, we see the like chunks of stone falling off the statue. And I'm like, they're freeing Amit from the stone. And then it was like, oh, no, they're carving a stone for Kanchu, which was very confusing to me because I'm like, I feel like it should have been like a conglomeration kind of effect rather than a chipping away effect. And I get that that's how statues are carved, but I was like, this looks like freeing to me rather than imprisoning. Yes. And um, so I was very confused because then I was like, oh my gosh, Arthur Harrow's back in Giza and the other god is there. And oh my god, all the gods want to free Amit. And this is why they wouldn't listen to uh, Mark. And, you know, this is all a big conspiracy to free Amit. And, you know, then... Arthur Harrow was talking to the statue and saying, you know, I really enjoyed, you know, my one sin is that I enjoyed dealing out pain on your behalf. And I'm like, he's talking to Amit. He's telling her that, you know, he is not pure, that the scales would, you know, tip against him and not in his favor and all this kind of stuff. And he's like thanking her. And then I looked at the statue's face and I'm like, oh, no, that's Khonshu. That's not Amit. Okay, none of this makes sense to me anymore. But Birdhead do kind of look like Gatorhead. I know. I was like, that's a big beak. It was kind of curvy. I was like, oh, talks like a woman. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, um, I don't know what to make of that last scene. I don't know why 
they needed the night sky to be like that. I don't know why the other gods don't believe Khonshu other than they suck. Um, and yeah, I don't really know what happened between Arthur Harrow and Khonshu other than Arthur Harrow says, I'm grateful if you hadn't broken me so completely, I might never have known the value of healing. I'm going to do what you could not. And when it's finished, I want you to remember one thing. Your torment forced me. I owe my victory to you. Which I did find intriguing because the, his use of the word broken echoes what he said to Stephen when he asked mm-hmm. him, did you choose you because you would be easy to break or because you were already broken? And for him to use that choice of words, I'm like, okay, he was Conchu's previous avatar, did hosting Khonshu fragment his personality as we've speculated about yeah. this before so I just thought that was an interesting choice of words um but yeah I do I mean I I kind of like not having all my questions answered about this like the backstory yeah. but I need to understand the motivations and I don't yeah. right now I don't but I did enjoy all the like individual parts of this episode up until that very last scene I love Mark I love Steven I yeah. love Layla. No, I mean, I I don't know. I'm just really hoping that this next episode they can sort of get back on track and that we can get all of the, like, dumb god stuff out of the way. Yeah. And that we can get back to what I like, which is... Because we have deviated from what if the monster was inside you the whole time mm-hmm. to what if the monster was a lady stuck inside of a tomb <laughs> that's about to be released by a bunch of gods. <laughs> this is This is true. Do you have any predictions or questions or thoughts about what we're going to see next week? Or the rest no, of the season? I, we're, we're at I'm, the midpoint. I know. I'm so disenchanted. I'm I'm, I'm unhopeful because I'm like, I know Marvel loves to have such huge set pieces and stuff like that. Um, but my, my hopeful idea is that what's going to happen next is that we're going to be, let's see, episode four, we're going to get to the tomb Mm -hmm. and hopefully actually fucking understand what they've been doing for 45 minutes at the tomb. And then we are going to start to pay off some of Layla's information and that this next one will hopefully be the Layla episode. I really hope and so. And then the following episode is going to have to be what the hell is going on with Mark still? We don't understand. Turns out it's Jake Lockley. We're introduced to him. Then we get a quick chance to refuse his call. We hate him. Steven and Mark both don't want to work with him. Then number six is the final acceptance of the call. You need all three wedding rings. You need all three personalities. You need your wife. Mm -hmm. You're going to defeat Arthur Harrow. And Amma's going to get released and all three are going to have to... Maybe somehow they even break personalities and they get three people with three suits at the same time. I think that would be amazing. That would be very interesting. Um, Wow. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, especially if the other gods are not behind it, especially if maybe Squash Blossom God is mm-hmm. like, I will offer my godly powers to release more suits or people or personalities or whatever for you. Right. Um, that like, if if he was already dead, can different gods animate him? 
could he somehow get two bodies? Will Oscar Isaac be playing himself inside of Squash Blossom's body? Oh my god. Hey, look at this. Boobies. And it's sort of, ha ha ha. Oh, I hope so. Um, I think the interesting thing to me right now is that Mark and Steven don't have any powers. Yes, I forgot about that part. That actually is the most eventful and most interesting thing. Yes. The suit disappeared. This this is to me the most consequential part of this episode is we have, we have reached the like point at which all is lost, sort of. Um, no one believes Mark and he doesn't have his powers anymore and Kanchu is trapped in stone. And so Kanchu says, you know, tell Mark to free me. But this is the interesting part to me is that the whole time Mark has been like obligated to Kanchu and he keeps being like, this is the last one, right? And then you'll let me go. He's free now. He's free. So the question is, does he, Stephen maybe, feel morally obligated to stop Arthur Harrow himself, I guess, instead of calling the Avengers, um, and free Khonshu and basically sacrifice his freedom to become Khonshu's avatar again, you know, or is he going to be like, fuck this. I'm, this is exactly what I wanted. I'm out. I'm free. I got my life back. I'm alive. Sorry, Khonshu. And I do wonder if this is when we'll see Jake Lockley, because if he's the kind of violent, crazy one, is he, you know, who's like asking out women, is he the one who's going to be like, fuck Khonshu? Like, we're going clubbing. Like, (laughs) you know, yeah. Is, yeah. is he going to be the one, or is he going to be the one who's like, mm, I really like stabbing people. Actually, I want Conchie's powers back. Like, I don't know which way we'll see it go. Um, but I do, I, I am very curious. And I, rewatching the first episode, we did, when Mark became Moon Knight, see these, like, hieroglyphs flash on the wall. And I kind of am expecting at some point that when Mark regains his Konshu powers that we will maybe end up in a location, maybe it's Amit's tomb, maybe it's somewhere else that has those same hieroglyphs. Um, Because it did feel like this is for a reason. And is this either just "Hmm, Egyptian aesthetic? Or is this like a flash of where this first took place that Mark received these powers? Um, And I'm wondering now that he doesn't have powers, if that's where we're going to end up. And the last thing that I noticed watching episode one was he had like 39 missed calls from Layla and one missed call from a guy called Duchamp. And Oh, I saw that. Yeah. I'm like, this is Chekhov's Duchamp. He's got to show up at some point. <laughs> I know. I also was so disappointed. This is just random. I was so disappointed they killed Anton. Yeah. Because it seemed like he had a lot of information and a lot of good stuff. And maybe if... Um, whatever. Amit gets resurrected, he'll get to take the body of an evil person or something mm-hmm. to live on in eternity and perpetuity or whatever the hell they think. Um, but I don't know. He seemed like a really cool character, and I assumed that he was going to be a bigger part of it. Also, the real guy died. R.I.P. So, yeah. I was hoping he was going to get to be a bigger part of it because I was really looking forward to his performance. Wait, which guy? Anton. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, passed. Yeah, he yeah. died uh, doing. Oh, doing the some off piste. Yes. Oh, 
That's so sad. Yes, and they only had just a quick moment of him. Um, they said, like, in loving memory of whatever his name is. Oh, um, I didn't see that. And he also, he's survived by his four-year-old son oh and his wife or something. Yeah. Wow. That is really tragic. It is, and so I was kind of hoping, like, oh, Moon Knight is going to be this guy's, like, great triumph. Yeah. And it was kind of like, oh, he kind of got a weird little part. He did. A little jousting. I mean, I liked him. Out. I wanted to see more of him. I did like him, yeah. I don't know. Maybe he'll get resurrected. Maybe we'll get just a few more minutes with him. I hope so. Well, this is my my last thought before we close this out is a theory courtesy of our friend Alex. Thank you, Alex. Shout out. Um, But that so the last episode of Moon Knight is going to come out on May 4th. Multiverse of Madness premieres on May 6th, but we all know that we're going to be on the theater on May 5th. We have here in this episode, in this show, a character with multiple shall we say, variants of himself. And Alex suggested that maybe Mark slash Steven slash perhaps Jake are different variants from different universes who have somehow begun <gasps> to occupy this same body. And that this, and this is actually, I'm just adding this uh, right now as it's occurring to me, but the event that's like recently something changed obviously could be related to the events of this show but you would think that if it was related to being possessed by Khonshu Mark would be able to like put two and two together but I'm like is this related to the events of No Way Home and this multiversal shattering and that you know maybe Mark had contact with Steven when he was younger but now that wall between the universes has breached and suddenly it's so much harder to keep um, them separate. And the, Alex developed this theory after hearing us talk about the mirror dimension, which we were using to describe the state when, you know, Mark is conscious or Steven is conscious and the other one is in the mirror as opposed to being in the like eyes rolled back, not aware of what's going on dimension. And we said, well, it's not really the mirror dimension because the mirror dimension is what Doctor Strange uses when he's yeah. creating a little pocket reality to fight in. But with Multiverse of Madness coming out literally two days after the last episode of this show, I do have to wonder if there is some sort of actual mirror, you know, dimension, multiversal thing happening here. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. I hope it's true. I really want Oscar Isaac to be more tied into the main MCU. Can we get like a Loki end shot where there's just like 12 Oscar Isaacs? Oh my god. <laughs> Gator, Gator Oscar Isaac, the irony. Yes. Oh my god. Oh, uh, I hope so. I really hope that the that this show continues to uh, do this character justice because I really like it and I want to continue to like it as much as I do. Yes, and I think I just want to say that you know we've spent a lot of time this episode talking about all the things that we thought were wrong with this episode, but we still love this show. Like this is definitely the most promising of all the Marvel shows that we've seen. We love the premise. We love the acting. We love the characters. We are just so afraid that they're going to drop the ball. And so when we got this episode where it felt like there was too much crammed into too short amount of time and we just didn't really understand the motives, it started to feel like, oh, no, oh, no, please, please, please let the this show finish off as strong as it started because I can't I can't bear the heartbreak. I know. I know. 
yeah, no, we definitely love this show, and I think that's why we're so critical of it is because yes. we want it's so close to being like literally some of the best TV out there. Yes. And I think it's worth mentioning, we haven't really talked a lot about our backgrounds, but we're both writers. And so I think that when we look at something that we admire, we're also looking at some the things that, you know, we would do differently or that we feel are, you know, trying to identify for ourselves so that we can become better writers, yeah. you know, yeah. what what it is exactly that went wrong. And I think that that can come off as very critical of like, oh, they should have, you know, done act two here instead of act to here and it's like we're not just trying to like be pedantic we really are trying to understand why the show felt to us the way that it did and put language to that yeah no I think this past episode was actually like one of the most informative for me in Mm -hmm. terms of my writing to be able to like internalize some of the critiques that I've gotten um because I generally like steer away from plot because I don't want to get caught in these moments, but then being understanding how this show has done plot so well and being like, okay, you can, you, it's easy to learn when something has done plot done well, yes. but then when you see plot done poorly, I'm like, okay, then I can better understand how plot functions as a vehicle for character development. Because when I'm taking my notes and trying to track, like, the hero's journey or the acts or, you know, just the different, like, beats you need to hit in a story arc and I'm having trouble identifying them, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I'm essentially, like, workshopping the script yeah. and being able to be like, oh, this will inform me when I need to workshop my own script. Like, what is wrong with your pacing? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, this is all one big masterclass. We're learning from it the is. greats. It Thank is. you. Thank you, Kev. We appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Um, anyway, I think it's a uh, high time to start wrapping it up. Um, Rebecca, do you have anything to plug? Um, just just the usual. I'm on Instagram, mostly Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. If you want to see things I posted several months ago, uh, mm-hmm. at Glazer Donut, and we are on Instagram. Uh, uh, it's all genre to me. Yes, check it out. We had a really good um, fan cam, and I will hopefully be posting more thirst traps and other things. Um, Otherwise, I don't have anything to plug. Rachel Baldwin 56 on all things. Um, Yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Yeah. Happy Passover, everybody. Happy Passover. Yeah. Happy Jewish moon night to you all. (laughs) Okay. See ya. Thanks for listening. Bye. It's all genre to me. This episode was edited by Rachel Baldwin, mixed and mastered by Brockman Day, theme song written and performed by Rachel Baldwin, music created and mastered by Brockman Day, artwork by Rebecca Glazer.